Pastor Xavier Reese tells us why we can put our trust in the Lord. God is sovereign. He does as He wills. And what He does is always perfect. He makes no mistakes. It may confuse you. People get bitter against God. I don't always figure out the things of God. I, I don't have all the factors in mind. But if I know that God is sovereign, that God is perfect, and that God is all wise, then I can rest in God. That's important. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Proverbs 20:24 tells us, Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? And it's this truth about the sovereignty of God that is revealed for us in the life of Jacob. And it's a truth we can learn to trust in as well. Let's join Pastor Xavier as he continues his study in the book of Genesis. Genesis 25, verse 19 through 34. And the message is entitled, The Sovereign God of Jacob. God has faithfully chosen the bride of Isaac as he led the servant of Abraham to Mesopotamia. And as he stood at the well and depended on God as he prayed, he intently looked to see how God would answer his petition. Before he finished praying, Rebekah came out and approached the servant exactly as he had asked the Lord. As you know, Rebekah came back with the servant, and Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death, the end of chapter 24, verse 67 tells us. Now... We look at the covenant promise that is passed on to Isaac with his family, which reveals the sovereignty of God by three events. Here in verse 19 through 34, let me read it for us. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as his wife and the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plead, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together with her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went and inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people should be separated from your body. One people should be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled... To give birth, indeed there was twins in her womb. And the first came out red, he was like a hairy garment all over, so he called his name Esau. Afterwards his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was sixty years old when she bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skill hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked the stew, and Esau came in from the field and was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with the same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die. So what is the birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. 
And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The covenant promise that passes on to Isaac with his family reveals the sovereignty of God through three events. First, the marriage and conception by Rebekah in verse 19 to 23. Secondly, the birth and distinction of the two sons in verses 24 through 28. And thirdly, the indifference and manipulation of the birthright in verse 29 through 34. The sovereignty of God is an amazing thing, and it's always correct, and it's right. We're going to see this very clear. Notice here the marriage and conception by Rebecca in verses 19 through 23. The genealogy and marriage of Isaac is presented to us in verse 19 and 20. The genealogy of Isaac was of a godly line. We've been able to trace this from Genesis, the godly line, the ungodly line. It is something that you can trace from Genesis to Revelation. There is no mistake. There are two families that live in this world. Those who know God, those who don't. The saints and the ain'ts. Those saved, those unsaved. Isaac was the son of Abraham. This is the eighth division of the ten by the word Telethoth as a natural division of Genesis, the generations. The ninth being the generation of Esau that we'll get in chapter 36 to 37. Now notice Abraham begot Isaac through Sarah according to the promise of God. God was faithful. God is the one in control. God is the one who's working in the midst of humanity, fallen humanity, to work out his plan and his schedule. We don't know the, the ways of God at always. We don't know why he does the thing we do, but we know that he does everything well. This marks the transition from Abraham to Isaac, from whom Jacob will be born. These three are the patriarchs. And throughout the scriptures, throughout the Old Testament, it says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are the prominent patriarchs of the Old Testament. Now notice that Isaac is the patriarch which we know the least about. If you've been through Genesis and you've looked at some of these chapters as you move on, we get the greatest detail about the life of Isaac in these few chapters from here, uh, verse 19 to chapter 28, verse 9. That's the bulk that we have. Um, he never traveled more than a few miles from his birthplace, and he was a very passive man. In fact, he gets into a little uh, confrontation uh, with the Philistines. They, they, he would find a well, and they cover it up, and he moves on and digs another one. They cover it up again, and, and it's just he's a very passive man. He's not like the other patriarchs. Now, the marriage of Isaac, notice, was brought about by God. Not only do we have a record here in verse 20, but we know this from the servant going to get Rebekah. God is the one who is in control. That's why it's so important that you and I walk with God. If you're a single person, then you need to keep your eyes on the Lord and seek the Lord. It's not a matter of you seeking a husband or wife. It's a matter of you seeking the Lord, and the Lord will add those things to you. Seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. Too often Christians get the things reversed, and they go to church because they want to find a wife, and they think they get a goldfish, and they get jaws, and they get blown away. The only thing of going fishing is you're going to catch something, all right? Let the Lord take care of that. Isaac was 40 years old 
when he took Rebekah as wife, and Rebekah was the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, Padaram. We get his genealogy and the connection. He is the Syrian. It goes back to the origin of Abraham from Mesopotamia, Ur of the Chaldees, in chapter 11 of Genesis, verse 29. We also were introduced in 22, 23, and here it is again, the connection. We will get a greater insight to him. We've been introduced to Laban a few times, but we're going to get, a, as Jacob goes, and Jacob's a rat, but Uncle Laban's a bigger rat. And he's going to have to go through the University of Uncle Laban, the school of hard knocks. Verse 21, the intercession of Isaac to God for his wife, Rebekah, is given to us. The patriarch Isaac pleaded with the Lord Yahweh for his wife because she was barren. The word for pleaded there emphasizes fervency. I cannot find anything of greater fervency than when someone does not have children. If you're married, it is a natural desire to have children. God has created us to procreate. That in a way that a woman and a man come together and you have children uh, that look so much like you and so much like your mate in a combination that is amazing. I can find no greater purpose of life apart from your salvation than to have children. It is the greatest investment that you will ever make in your life. You will soon be gone, and if the Lord tarries, your children would carry on the church of Jesus Christ. And that's what you leave as you pour your life into your children to let them know what it is to be a godly man, a godly woman, that they might take the torch to the next generation. There is no greater privilege than that. Too often today, children have no example at home because parents are not around. Now, interesting that all the wives of the patriarchs were barren, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel. God was on the throne. God was in control. And so the Lord Yahweh granted his plea here in verse 21, just like Sarah, just like the father of John the Baptist, as he prayed for Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, verse 13. God intervenes. He's the one that gives children. He's the one that withholds the times. Rebecca, his wife, conceived God wanted the patriarch to know that it was God who was fulfilling the promise. To keep their hearts and mind set on him and to know that he would be the one who would be multiplying them miraculously as the sands of the seashore, as the stars of the heavens. Not one of them could look to their own ability. And that's the way God wants it all the time. It's always a dangerous day when we look to our own resources. And it can be pretty devastating. Notice in verse 22 and 23, the difficult experience of Rebecca in her pregnancy is given to us. In verse 22, the children struggle together within her. The word struggle means literally to crush each other, literally. So these guys were just going toe-to-toe. Even from within the womb, their personalities were, were very contrary. And, and, and more than that, God shows us that it meant more than just the birth of two children, but there was a prophetic aspect to it resulting here in physical and emotional agony. The response of Rebecca said, if all is well, why am I like this? Her preoccupation was natural. Now notice the decision of Rebecca was to go to inquire of the Lord Yahweh. The implication is that she went to see a prophet or a priest. We don't know what, who it was. We're not told, but she inquired of the Lord. And this is always the case regardless of what's going on in your life and mine. The problem is often we want to go to man. But when things go wrong in my life, I have to go to God. 
I am no different than you. I have problems just like you. I have difficulties, things happen in my life, and I have to go to God. And certainly as people of God and the church of God, if we go to the Lord and we haven't worked through those things and we can't see light yet, then we have each other to pray with each other and to pray for each other and to be able to lift each other in prayer. But we want to make sure we go to God first because he's the source of everything in our life. Very important. Now, the Lord revealed to Rebekah the reason for her turmoil in verse uh, 23. Yahweh said to her, two nations are in your womb. They were twins, one to follow God, the other one who would rebel against God. Two people should be separated from your body, one being spiritual, later on named Israel, the other being a type of the flesh, Edom, two nations. One people should be stronger than the other, Jacob, the patriarch over Esau, though he would have to learn many lessons the hard way. And the older shall serve the younger. The older Esau would serve the younger Jacob, a type of the old man who would serve the new man, if you will. The sovereignty of God chose Seth, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, all who were not the firstborn. Isaac over Ishmael, Joseph over his brothers. God is sovereign. He does as he wills. And what he does is always perfect. It may confuse you. People get bitter against God. People say, well, if there's a God like that, I can't believe him. And they have all kinds of reasons because they fault God. They don't understand the nature of God is perfect. He makes no mistakes. I don't always figure out the things of God. I, I don't have all the factors in mind. But if I know that God is sovereign, that God is perfect, and that God is all wise, then I can rest in God. That's important. The sovereignty of God is illustrated by Jesus, if you remember, in the parable of the laborers in Matthew chapter 20, as he went to the market and, and hired different individuals to work, some at 6, some at 9, some at 12, at different times of the day. And they each received their wages from the last of the first, as you know, and they murmured about the unfairness of it. In verse 15, the householder said, Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? And then it says, take what is yours and go away. Because they thought they should have got more money because they bore the heat of the day longer. And so often people look to the things of the world and the things of life, and, and if they, they start using, well, that's not fair. That's the wrong word. You never use fair in God. Okay? He's on the throne, and he knows what he's doing. If we wanted fair, we would be in a real difficult situation. <laughs> Fair equals hell. Who wants fair? He's in control. Very, very important. Sovereignty is the right to do as God pleases with his creation. Now, we hear this all the time. People want their freedom to do what they want, when they want, to who they want, and wherever they want. Well, that's not freedom. That's sovereignty. And only God has sovereignty. Because a sovereign God, he is perfect. And he can make all right decisions without error. He knows the best thing for each of us. And so when you have these attributes of perfection, sovereignty is perfect. It makes no mistake. To me, it doesn't make sense, but I'm not God. I don't have those attributes. God does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases, when, where, and to whom he pleases, and it's always right. It's never 
unjust. God alone knows the reason for a woman's barrenness. Sometimes it's the fall. Sometimes it's because of medical reasons. And sometimes God allows a woman not to bear children because he has something in mind. We don't always know which it is. And certainly as we live in this world, we're practical and we carry on the steps. We go to the doctor, this and that. And we've had different women who have gone to doctors and they've been able to conceive. And others, regardless of what they've tried, they haven't. And we've prayed for them, anointed them with oil, and some have conceived and others have not. It is God who's on the throne. It is God who decides. It is he who knows what's best. If we don't settle on that, we become bitter, we become indifferent, and we become very withdrawn from God and the things of God. Because somehow we think that God has shortchanged us. The sovereignty of God is evident throughout the scriptures, as you know. The prophet Habakkuk had a problem with the sovereignty of God because he was going to use the Chaldeans to discipline Israel in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 6. And the prophet says, oh, come on, Lord, let me know. He says, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. And he shows them. He says, I can't believe it. And so he got very confused. And he sat in this tower to be corrected. And then when he got done, God corrected him. And then he went to the commitment. He rested in God. And even though he couldn't see how it was all worked out, he believed that it would because he understood his God. That's an important thing. Jonah had the same problem with God because God wanted to forgive the Assyrians sovereignly. He says at the end of the book, Jonah 4.11, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between the right hand and the left hand and much livestock? It's a rhetorical question. It has an obvious answer. Yes! God was after Jonah. Jonah had a hard problem with God forgiving the Assyrians. And so God was after Jonah. He had to rest in God. Sovereign. Whatever God sovereignly does, it's always right and perfect. This is the major theme of the book of Romans, as you know, as he deals with Israel and the Gentiles. In regards to Esau and Jacob, he deals with it in chapter 9, regards Pharaoh also, and he illustrates it by the potter and the clay. The clay can't say to the potter, what are you doing? <laughs> he does as he wills. In fact, Paul quotes there in Romans, Malachi he says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau I have hated, quoting Malachi 1, 1 through 4. Now Calvinists consider this text to be one of the strongest passages to prove that before birth, all men are predestined either to heaven or to hell, in Romans 9, 9 through 13. But on the contrary, if one reads the passage carefully in the related quote, Paul is quoting Malachi, and the prophet is not referring to Jacob and Esau as individuals, but to the nations which descended from them, Israel and Edom. Context, context, context. God is not a cantankerous, unjust God who predestined people to go to hell and others to go to heaven. No. There is that Divine balance between predestination and free will that we cannot understand because we do not have foreknowledge. But free will is on our side, and we must decide. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You get to decide where you're going to spend eternity. 
he is just and that he has allowed his son to die for the entire world and that whoever believes shall be saved. So I know that I have to decide who I'm going to choose to live for. That's my responsibility. Seeing that God is all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, possessing foreknowledge, the epitome of perfection of wisdom, and the fact that he is eternal, infinite, immutable, should his sovereignty worry us as to whether it's going to be just? Of course not. He's not up there biting his nails. You may be. Listen to Paul in Romans eleven thirty-three. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Perfect. Remember that the sovereignty of God is like foreknowledge. It is part of it. He has it. No one else has it. It never violates man's free will. It all works out. Woe to him who strives with his maker, Isaiah 45, 9 says. And so you and I have to make a decision. Where do we stand with God? Are we fighting against God? Are we charging God? Or are we aligning ourselves with the provisions that he's given to us so that we can bring glory to him? That's the main thing. And so the marriage and conception of Rebecca was by the sovereignty of God. Even all this is going on. He's right on time. He's right on schedule. Now notice the second event is the birth and distinction of the two sons in verse 24 through 28. Verse 24 through 26, the particular birth of the twins. The day had arrived to deliver the twins just as God had foretold. Now the first came forth. He came out red, and the word red refers to a more tanny color. And he was a hairy garment all over. He was a little, little furball. And therefore, they call his name Esau, Harry. Uh, the second came forth. His brother came out holding Esau's heel. Therefore, they named him Jacob. Jacob means heel catcher, surplanner, finagler, deceiver, con artist. <laughs> From the very womb, children are so different. Their personalities. You know, some are so compliant as they come into the world, and others are just Tasmanian devils. It's just different. Here from the womb, depicting character. Now, the age of Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them, it tells us. 20 years of being married, 20 years of barrenness, 20 years of intense intercession for his wife. Now, the personality of the twins were a great contrast. Verse 27 and 28 tells us. The boys grew in the process of time were not given the events of their upbringing, were, th were ushered right into their adult state. And, and we find this in the scriptures often. God will give us three, four chapters of great detail within a month period or a week or whatever. And then at other times, within one verse, we pass 20 years. This is one of those occasions. Now, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. Verse 27 says, more of an outdoors man, rugged and strong. Uh, but notice Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents, more of an indoors man, more of a mama's boy, I will see. The phrase mild man means perfect, complete, mature. The boys were different as night and day. And maybe you even look to your own life, you have a brother or a sister, and both of you are so opposite. Uh, I, my brother and I, you know, we're, we're night and day. We're as different as right and left. You know, uh, people say, well, why, why is it your brother has an accent? I say he's adopted, that's why. Uh, but we're different as night and day. 
I mean, if you see us together, you know we're brothers. But if you don't see us and you just hear us, uh, but even our personalities, we're different. That's not in day. And you have to learn to rest in yourself who you are. Well, the tri most tragic thing that can happen is life where you, you don't want to be who you are, but you want to be what somebody else is. And, and you're always trying to fit in and everything else. And, and just God has created you perfectly and uniquely. And, and you need to look to the Lord and Lord say, Lord, you make me, you mold me, you live through me. And let me glorify you through my life because you know what's going on. Pastor Xavier Reese with an excellent reminder of why we should put our trust in a sovereign God. And you can pick up a copy of today's important study, Sovereign God of Jacob. It's available on CD for just $4. Now be sure and pass a copy of this lesson on to someone in your church or Bible study. The title to ask for once again is Sovereign God of Jacob, or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please don't forget to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Well, most people spend their entire life trying to be blessed, so what's the problem? Find out when you tune into the next edition of Simple Truths with Bible Study Teacher, Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 